Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode, <clears throat> excuse me, of Jedi Council Podcast. Uh, Council Cast, uh, superhero psychology stuff, that's what we're all about, mental health and, and superheroes and fictional characters, all the good stuff. And uh, I think today we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. So we've got a little bit of the current events for you, um, a little bit less mental health, a little more comics in the current events today. And then uh, we're going to be talking about issue number 44 of Scott Snyder's run of the Batman series. That was part of his New 52 run of Batman. Um, a lot of the things I read about it, and I, I read all of it, but a lot of things I read about it were that it was kind of regarded as one of the best things of the New 52 and, and just really a highly, and uh, just a well-regarded run of Batman. So um, how are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing well. Good. I'm excited to talk about these things. I'm hoping we can keep to our time limit. We may not, but we, we'll see how it goes. I'll try no, to be concise. Absolutely. If nothing else, we'll, we'll have a two-part episode. No big deal. That's true. We we'll um, always do that. So, uh, current events. Uh, like I said, I've got nothing related to mental health, but I do have some comic book stuff. Uh, first things first, uh, for folks who maybe are more interested in, in video games, the um, on the second, two days ago, the Telltale Batman game uh, came out, the first episode. So uh, Telltale games are kind of uh, episodic in nature. They've got five episodes that run right around 90 minutes or so. That make up a season of, of five episodes. And then they kind of release multiple seasons, um, assuming that the game is well received. They've got uh, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. Um, uh, what else do they have? Uh, Back to the Future, I know they have, and Batman now. Uh, there's one called The Wolf Among Us that's really popular. That's a good one. Um, so there's a lot of good ones. And uh, the, the the game was fairly well, well received. The first episode was. I played it myself. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I've read you know a little bit of mixed reviews somewhere right around the 7 or 8 out of 10 range. So that was fun. Uh, other news, Suicide Squad World Premiere was the other day. So um, currently on Rotten Tomatoes... Um, I think it's sitting right around like 33% or something like that at the time of this recording. Not good. Uh, particularly disappointing for a couple of DC fans like oh, yeah. us. Um, but uh, one positive thing. So Rotten Tomatoes, of course, kind of an aggregate review site, takes reviews from all of the critics and kind of puts them together so you can easily see what people are thinking about the movies. But there's only one reviewer I care about, Katie, and it's Kevin Smith. Yep. I don't know if you saw this. I think it was either earlier today or late last night. He wrote a fairly lengthy piece about uh, what he thought about Suicide Squad, and he, he, it was a lot of really positive stuff. And I think it's important to note... Uh, we both love Kevin Smith so much, but uh, he, so of course I'm biased about accepting his opinion over anyone else, but he was fairly critical of Batman vs. Superman when it first came out, so I don't think he's just automatically supporting it, because like us, he really is a DC fan too, so it gives me some high hopes for the movie. I haven't read that yet, but I, I trust his taste. I know a lot of people don't think he has the best taste, but I personally think he has excellent taste. I always enjoy what he does. Absolutely, me too. So I'm very much looking forward to Suicide Squad still. Uh, I'm sure no matter what it is, I'll absolutely love it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, anything with Batman, I'm going to get a kick out of it. Uh, Except maybe related to our episode last week, The Killing Joke. That's a, an episode for another time. <laughs> but it shows we have discrimination. That's it's right, not yes. constantly liking everything. Absolutely. Remotely DC. It really adds to our credibility, I think, in a, <laughs> in a really big way. So Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. So so we'll look forward to Suicide Squad. We'll, maybe we can talk a little bit about that once we see it. But uh, yeah, Kevin Smith liked it, and he's kind of our role model slash inspiration for, for this whole project in, a, in some ways. So I, I trust him uh, implicitly and without any 
any doubt. So there will be a full episode on him at some point. Oh, absolutely. I just think it's inevitable. We'll we'll figure out how to work in the mental health and psychology angle, but there will be something about him. Absolutely, and hopefully with him as a, a guest star. Yes, please. Yeah. So, and then the last thing that I thought was kind of interesting, not directly r- related to mental health, but I heard it linked to mental health, kind of in a different podcast I listened to, but. I'll let them talk about that. Was I don't know if you saw this, Katie, but there's a petition currently uh, to have Rotten Tomatoes shut down um, because they're, in the in the words of the petition writer, being biased against DC movies. What do you think about this? Hmm. <laughs> well, I don't. Rotten Tomatoes seems more like the messenger of the news. I don't think that they make up like 500 reviewers and just put their own opinions in, although I could be wrong, maybe that's what they do, but the names seem legit that they use. <laughs> they do, I would have to agree. So, uh, at my core, of course, I, I agree, shut down Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> uh, but ultimately, the rational side of me understands that they're not writing these reviews, they're collecting them from other critics, uh, but it certainly is interesting. The last time I looked at how many folks had signed it, which was yesterday, so a, a while ago now, there was about 13,000 signatures oh, on that. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, part of me, this strong makes me feelings. A, strong feelings, yeah. But part of me makes, part of this makes me a little sad, though, to be honest, because I'm certainly kind of a DC apologist, and I defend Batman vs Superman forever, and I forever will. And I'm sure I will have to do the same thing with Suicide Squad. But I don't, I just straight up denying that anyone can criticize something i don't know about that position on it either because certainly anything is open to criticism and and there is room for improvement in anything so i don't know it's certainly if nothing else it was kind of interesting to see i've never before seen a a petition like this no i agree it's dangerous to start shutting down differing opinions while i applaud their loyalty and their passion I don't know that that is the most effective way to approach it. But. I, I'm not sure I am either. So that's our current events for today. Like I said, no mental health. Certainly some comic book stuff, yeah. though. But uh, anyway, let's get into the, the real topic at hand today. So Actually, one day, oh. maybe, not today, but we could talk a little bit about the psychology of that reaction and what we think that is. I mean, it, I think it might have to do with identifying with something so strongly mm-hmm. that you feel insulted when other people criticize it. But maybe we should think about that a little bit more. No. I think it's a great uh, it's a great thought, though, and it's something on the fly here. I've kind of been trying to think about it, but I can't come up with anything concrete enough that I want to really speculate. But I think it is a topic that's worth exploring, and it, it, a little self-disclosure, it's certainly something I've experienced, too. I, I feel a little bit of a... A, a tinge of something when when people say how horrible Batman or Superman is or anything negative about Batman ever in any way in any form of any any rendition. No, I'm just kidding, but not really. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I've noticed from firsthand experience that you do have that reaction, but mm-hmm. it's understandable. So there is good psychological research available on sports teams, for example, mm-hmm. that might be comparable on how people identify with sports teams and how they respond to losses versus wins, as though it is something personal, even if they had absolutely nothing to do with it. So it's possible that this falls into the same category, which might be interesting to look at. Absolutely. No, it's a great idea and and certainly probably a topic worth tying in. Really pull that mental health into my currently lacking uh, current event section. (laughs) No, thank you very much. So topic at hand today, we'll be talking about Batman, issue number 44 by Scott Snyder. Um, 
maybe just a really brief summary. I don't want to. I don't want to just. Uh, I mean, if you go, please read it. I guess is the take-home message. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, what's a little bit different about this one is the art wasn't done by Greg Capullo, how, who is probably my favorite comic book artist. I really like his work and Jim Lee and others, but uh, this was new for me. Um, Azarello, I don't know their first name to be quite honest with you. That's a, a shortcoming of my I'm own say knowledge. Brian, but I should oh, I think you're right. Google it to make sure. Let's quickly get on the horn with Google. You're really here. hearing the process. I think this is where other people <laughs> edit their podcasts, but Not, I guess he, he is Brian. <laughs> Brian Azarello, you're getting it. You're getting it first here. We love at, your work, Brian. Com- we love your work. <laughs> Please call in sometime. So, uh, just a really brief synopsis and Katie. Correct me if I'm going wrong here on any of the plot points, but basically what we have here is uh, a young black man who is murdered. Batman comes across the crime scene, which uh, the name of it is a simple case, and ultimately the name is not right. It's a very much more complicated than that. And this case kind of evolves as he Batman's trying to figure out, you know, who did this, why did this happen, and, and he's vows to never let this happen again. And uh, it turns out that it was a police officer uh, who shot this young man, and as Batman's kind of investigating it, he finds out that he had some role in the events that led up to this shooting. Uh, as Bruce Wayne and kind of the philanthropic efforts he's undertaken, um, and it, it's, I've got most of it there. It, any important points that you'd like to fill in that I'm missing to kind of catch people up on the plot, at least before we kind of dive into the mental health that's related to this or kind of Scott's process? Sure. You captured the main points. Mm -hmm. Basically, from what I've read, Scott Snyder, maybe jumping a little into the process Mm -hmm. part. No, that's fine. saw this opportunity to talk about a very relevant and important topic and really used the medium through Mm -hmm. his, his comic book to reach a lot of people and discuss... For me, what was so impressive are the complexities. Like you said, the title is a simple case, but it's an ironic title because Batman goes into it trying to figure out why this adolescent boy has died, and he's going to take care of whatever the cause is. But what ends up happening is, as he uncovers and does his detective work, which we've talked about, we also just really like when when his detective work is Mm -hmm. focused on rather than just... Punching and punching things like people. that. I, I, yes, absolutely. So he uncovers many causes and factors that have led to this young man's death. And to me, this is actually one of the first Batman comics that I've ever read. And it fully convinced me how powerful comics could be. I admit that before that, I didn't understand how much complex information could be relayed. And it's so creative the way that it was done. And it was also just very moving to me to see how how each of the sensitive topics were discussed and kind of portrayed. And, of course, the artwork really allows for more than just simply reading mm-hmm. the words, I think. And I think that's part of the power of comics is that you can see the facial expressions and connect with the characters maybe in a way that's different than simply reading about dialogue, which, of course, you can connect mm-hmm. with people that way, too. And so I highly recommend this. I can't recommend this enough. I, I think it's outstanding, mm-hmm. and we won't go into all the details, like you said, for the sake of time and spoiling everything, but those are the main themes of it. I mean, it's just this uncovering, and I think Batman's serves as a model. Here's someone who's a superhero 
And he, I think, is humbled through the experience as he does his detective work to realize that there are a lot of factors, like you said, even he playing a factor in this young man's death. And as he uncovers it, he realizes that it's not the way he thought it was at all. And I mm -hmm. think that that is extremely relatable. It's certainly relatable for me, mm -hmm. where I think I understand a situation, and then you start to learn more about it and realize it's not that simple. It would mm -hmm. be nice if it was, if it was simple. And instead, there are many factors in a lot of different places that interventions could have happened to prevent this young boy's death. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that hits on a lot of good points. So one thing I really like that you said, and one thing I really like that, I mean, I, maybe this is going a little bit more into just the comic side, but I really like exploring kind of the duality of, of Batman and Bruce Wayne and kind of, you know, what are the effects? Because this is someone who really has a a way to, to influence the world as two different people in two wildly different ways. And so I really like when they explore the differences between the effects that Bruce Wayne can have and the effects that Batman can have. And then I think going even that step further and tackling big social issues, because there are a lot of issues that I think were addressed in this comic book, uh, gentrification, things like that, mm -hmm. that I've never seen in any other comic book. So I think it's so... I mean. It's really impressive to me to have Scott Snyder uh, taking on these really big social issues with a character that's so well-known and in a way that kind of, I mean, made the character fallible. So, I mean, not only are maybe readers such as ourselves learning about some of these social issues, we're learning alongside Batman, who's kind of figuring out, well, what was his role in some of these things? And, and I mean, how are certain people influenced in ways that maybe you might not have recognized it before so i think i mean so like you said it's a really powerful uh piece of uh i mean i think artwork is i mean well i don't know how you best describe comic books as a medium but i think it's just a really powerful piece um that that offers something that i haven't seen before in maybe any other comic book yeah and i think the other part of it is that the information is presented this is just where it's so impressive to me that a lot of people, myself included, become defensive talking about some of these issues and have I, could I play a role in something bad that's happened or something tragic that's happened. But the way that it's set up is very sympathetic to even the people who are unintentionally, mm -hmm. like Bruce Wayne, unintentionally contributing to the problem. And so I feel that that allows readers to have their defenses down a bit as they learn this information and think about, you know, this isn't presenting, I mean, a big part of this is there is not a bad guy who's responsible mm -hmm. for this person's death. There are many people in a lot of situations that are sympathetic, and that is much more nuanced than a lot of the presentations that I've seen and discussions that I've seen about these issues where people tend to set up defenses if it's about this person's wrong or that person's wrong and then the the communication just ends. Mm -hmm. But that's where I really think this is a masterful storytelling piece and um, psychologically powerful. Too. Mm -hmm. so, so that raises a, a, a question that I have for you, Katie. So I think I've mentioned this on this podcast before is that uh, here at NDSU, you're were the instructor, are the instructor of um, our diversity and clinical psychology class, and and one thing I remember specifically about being in that class is similar to Scott Snyder's presentation of this information is that you were able to present a lot of information um, in a way that didn't elicit defenses. And I'm wondering, what do you think? I mean, just in public or in, in everyday conversation, because I think you're absolutely right, is that it's very easy to elicit those defenses, and once you do, the communication's over. So, what are the ways to go about talking about these? what are 
I mean, hugely important topics that are, I mean, hard to talk about, really, for some people. Um, what's the way to bring these up or talk about these that you can, how can you do that without a listening defenses? Do you, I mean, how do you think? I really, I appreciate that comment, and one thing I have to say is that I do think that, you know, and your classmates were highly motivated to listen to the information, mm -hmm. so I do think that helps, that mm -hmm. if you have someone, if there are people who are open to learning, and I try to be this way, but I'm not like this 100% of the time, there are certain things where I'm going to kind of dig in my heels and stick with things, but trying to be open is helpful. But one of the things that I think... I try to do is actually just comes from my clinical work which is try to empathize with people who are hearing this information and think about what some of the common strong emotional responses that interfere with discussion can be and a lot of the time it's if people feel they're being blamed or they're being told that what they've done is not valuable mm -hmm. and so I think starting off at that point before getting into the information to kind of set the stage for a productive conversation, that's not always going to work, and that's not always helpful. And honestly, a lot of like social media fights and stuff like that, mm -hmm. I don't know how possible that is. Right. But, but that's the perspective that I try to take, because honestly, that's the way that I'm most open to information, mm -hmm. is if I feel like I'm not being judged or blamed outright. you know. And then I think if you allow the person, if you lay out the facts, and let them struggle through the process and create a safe environment to do that. I mean, like we do with a lot of things in therapy, um, I think that doing that, if they come to the conclusions on their own or their opinions alter on their own, that's ultimately much stronger anyway than mm -hmm. me just trying to force my point of view on anyone. I couldn't do that even if I wanted to. Absolutely. You know? Oh, that's a great piece. Another thing I'm wondering about, maybe just shifting gears a little bit, I, I'm thinking about my own clinical experience and thinking about maybe some of the ways that uh, racial disparities or things like that might come into play in clinical work, because I know it's an important factor to consider when you're uh, developing treatment or, or, or engaging in a diagnostic assessment. Um, given the populations I've worked with, I haven't had a lot of um, experience of doing one-on-one -on -one therapy with, uh, with a, a racially diverse group. At this point, I'm wondering, do you have any insight from your clinical work that maybe plays a role in, in kind of some of the uh, intersection between um, between race and mental health? One thing that is that I've learned a lot from my clients, I have to say, and when I'm working with clients who belong to groups that are marginalized in some way, and I, I guess here is a point that I'd like to make because it's something that I've really learned more about in the, probably in the past few years than, than I knew in my earlier years in clinical work, is that a lot of psychology tends to focus on racism, such as microaggressions mm -hmm. or people making racist statements. And I found that there is less focus sometimes in mental health or in, or in psychology on what uh, systemic racism. So mm -hmm. for example, if there are data, and we can link to this, that in states where there are higher rates of black voter turnout, there tend to be more proposals to re have more restrictive voter ID laws. There's a strong sociological study on that that's, that's pretty interesting. It's all correlational and not causal, but it is an interesting finding and something that has continued to be a lot of debate. So, for example, thinking about if I have a client who is um, being targeted to not go out to vote, for example, mm -hmm as is with this recent case in North Carolina where the judge concluded that these new restrictive voting laws 
should not go into place because they did seem to be specifically trying to reduce turnout for black or African-American people, then it's hard to imagine I that that client isn't gonna ha may have some mistrust for me for a good reason. Mm -hmm. So they might come into the session and think, you know, what does, is this person have my um, best interest at heart, or is this going to be another situation where my voice doesn't count? So that's just voting. There are a lot of other examples, and we can link to these types of things. I mean, in the past 10 years, there were clear Department of Justice lawsuits for Wells Fargo and Bank of America's Countrywide paying out large settlements because there was evidence that they were systematically leading um, black and Hispanic individuals to suboptimal housing loans, charging them more interest more likely to deny them credit for homes, even if they had equal credit histories, all that stuff. So I guess the main thing for me as a clinician, if I recognize that there are these still this clear racism in place, including systemic racism, that I need to go out of my way to listen to the person and their experiences. And I think without being aware of some of those things, as I was less aware of in the past, mm -hmm. What happens, and there's been some interesting data on this, is that therapists sometimes think the client is being paranoid or they invalidate their concerns about being discriminated against. And then they're not motivated to come back for therapy mm -hmm. because they, they don't feel like the therapist gets them. Mm -hmm. In general, it's important to feel your therapist gets you. Yeah. So in these cases where there's a history there, you know, it, it's especially important. And so we also see this, there's a history within the American Psychological Association and a lot of other associations of discrimination towards lesbian, gay, bisexual individuals and things like that. And, and so now it kind of, the APA is taking the stance that we need to take the charge in really working against that history to make people feel comfortable and provide the services that they need. So I think I might have gone off topic there, but I, I think that's, the main thing to me is listening and not meeting things as um, not believing they're true just because I haven't seen it as a white person or mm -hmm. um, someone who identifies not in, in as many marginalized groups, just not, not dismissing their concerns. And there is evidence that, for example, folks in marginalized groups might elevate scales of paranoia because mm -hmm. they say that people specifically are looking at them or talking to them or out to harm them. And there's evidence that that might be the case, but if you're not in those groups, you might not realize that that's happening and it could be interpreted as paranoia. And so, to me, that's just a starting place to understand that. And and um, so that's the main thing, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I know one thing that, that's clear as well is that there's certainly some links between uh, mental health symptoms and the experience of racism. Mm -hmm. When thinking about the comic, did anything stand out to you that you think might have been analogous to what you might see in a, an actual real-life si similar situation of mental health symptoms that the main character that we're kind of following through and Batman's investigating might have experienced? There's been some research on the concept of fatalism or the idea that you don't influence the outcome in your life, and I think that that is a strong message of the main character, Peter, mm -hmm. in this book, is that he is trying multiple ways of trying to save his father's shop yes. and, and his legacy. And he's trying to go through legal channels and, and talk to positive people about that. And those aren't working out. And so just thinking about how that can impact someone's mental health, mm -hmm. their self-efficacy, mm -hmm. their worldview in terms of believing that they can have a positive outcome. I mean, that that's hard to overcome because 
there's a kernel of truth in the fact that there are limitations on what the person can do. And so I think that navigating that in, with someone in that situation is really important in therapy, and I liked that that was highlighted. I mean, certainly the main character is presented as sympathetic because you see him trying to do all of these things. And I think the danger is that sometimes in the media representations, individuals in this situation are presented as caricatures who mm -hmm. are bad people. Yes. And, and here it's much more... I would say realistic for most people that they're trying all of these options and then out of desperation end up making these choices that ultimately lead to negative outcomes. One thing that comes to mind when you just said that, because I think, I mean, I think you're exactly right with kind of how people are portrayed in the media is a, a lot of times the picture that's even used. Mm -hmm. If we think of the, a lot of times with uh, some of these shootings that have happened in the picture of the victim that's sometimes used and then maybe as an alternative example when we think about the picture of Brock Turner that was used for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of fallen out of the media now a little bit, but just as a, a fairly relevant example, he had this nice school picture that was used mm -hmm. of him. And so just even something as simple like that, I think, um, because for a lot of people, when they're first hearing about these individuals, these stories, that's going to be their first point of contact mm -hmm. with that individual is just something as simple as a picture. And as, I mean, depending on the sort of picture they're using, that can really influence um, general view of someone. So Absolutely right. I mean, we're we're kind of as humans, we make snap judgments about oh, things, absolutely. and if the first thing you're seeing is a mugshot versus mm -hmm. a varsity swimming Stanford yep. photo shoot, that's going to influence how you, your perception of the person, absolutely. even all of the information following it. And mm -hmm. so in that way, the media, I actually, to go back to Batman versus Superman briefly, mm -hmm. I thought this was a subtle, not overdone point, but important point where they show Clark Kent talking to Lawrence Fishburne's character, whose name is, I don't remember, but they were talking about journalistic decisions mm -hmm. and the idea that when you present stories, information you present is making an ethical decision because you do influence people that way. Yeah. And so this certainly happens and, and um, you know, it, a lot has been argued in the psychological literature that for evolutionary reasons, we make shortcut decisions. And so if you have a picture mm -hmm. that can influence, unless you're thinking about a lot of these other kind of nuanced things, mm -hmm. but the motivations of media may not be to create a nuanced picture in certain situations. Absolutely. No, I think you're exactly right. So, well, I think that's probably a, a good stopping point for today. Maybe this is a topic we can re revisit at some point because it's certainly an important topic. And I think there's a lot to talk about here, but I don't know, Katie, if you think about maybe just a, one or two take-home points for people, I, I thought maybe we could start closing this off with a couple of take-home points. I, I, one for, that I'm thinking of is uh, go to Amazon.com and Google Batman number 44, Scott Snyder, and then click that Buy Now button and get that shipped uh, two-day free shipping with an Amazon Prime account right to your front door. Get that and read it and see if you can't jump in and, and contribute to this discussion a little bit. Definitely. I, I'd love to hear other people's opinions. And also, if you're local, you can certainly borrow my copy. Absolutely. So anything else that you think maybe just a take-home point or just kind of wrap things up for folks? One, one thing that I, that I want to say is that I, I think that humility has been something that has been helpful for me. I get defensive as much as other people do and trying to learn other information and listen to other people's stories, but listening and just being open to the idea of being wrong, honestly, that is the theme of this comic. Mm -hmm. And 
if Batman can do it, then certainly a non-superhero like me can be open to doing that. Absolutely. And, and I think that that makes a huge difference. The other thing that I want to say is there are some outstanding psychologists who are doing work specifically looking at the mental health costs of racism and things that have been understudied with regard to how discrimination and systemic racism from microaggressions to things I mentioned before that are larger like uh, discrimination within physical health fields, medical health, things like that. Um, so Courtney Cogburn and Monica Williams are two people who do great work on this, and I'm going to link to that. They did a great Science Friday episode recently on July 15th, and it's well worth listening to. It's 17 minutes, and they provide a lot of information, and it's just wonderful to see people paying attention to these important issues of um, to stay current in terms of effective mental health treatment for all people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sounds good, but we'll wrap it up there then for today. As always, folks, thanks so much for listening in. Please feel free to send us a message if there's some uh, questions that you had about the things that we talked about today, or if you have some more broad questions, maybe about psychology or mental health, superheroes, comic books, uh, anything that you want. Just send them our way. Uh, we'll answer them, or maybe we won't. We never know. Uh, we'll do our <laughs> but best. We'll probably answer them. I think. We'll probably the, answer. The them. odds are good. The odds are good. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, go ahead, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, check out our blog. Um, yeah, and thanks so much for listening again.